start, we jump in on um, the, the kind of the big you picture thinking, and then Melissa will jump in with how she's making connections in her classroom. Uh, but the neat thing I know with my hope was that as people are learning more about PBL um, and that model of education, that how that could be translated to be um, change agents in this world. And I loved on the paper, it shows what um, the theme for this year is. I was going to tie it up. You want to say it? I put it on the on here. Did you guys get one too? It says, um, establish the work of our hands and. What's that? Oh, okay, never mind. You're fine. Um, establish the work of our hands. And I know last year our school had the big theme of, oh, oh maybe I should step back. I'm sorry, I don't forget. Um, I'll give you a little journey, I guess, what took, took uh, me to this place. And I started off as a science educator. I knew from a young age I wanted to be a teacher. And then from there, um, I uh, taught at the Potter's House. I was a K-8 science teacher. And then I went on to Grand Rapids Christian for two years in middle school teaching science, and then when I um, had my daughter, I stayed home, and then I wasn't ready to go back to full-time teaching, but I said to my husband, I think I'd like to work at Blanford Nature Center. Um, I'd love to, we were dabbling at Preston Christian with our landscape, um, but I didn't really understand fully how that could be maximized, and, and living near Westside Christian, uh, the principal had called the night that Brian Dyke had passed away and said that there were these nature trails, so I wasn't ready when he called when my daughter was born to, to jump into teaching, but that sentence of utilizing nature kept coming back in my life. So two days after I said that to my husband, Blanford Nature Center had a part-time teaching position. And then from there, I've grown in a journey where um, my classroom now is the outdoors, and that was God's plan all along, not to have we decorate bulletin boards inside, but to establish um, a setting where students can come and utilize that. And my prayer is that whether you're a school that has a lot of land or a little, that you two could say there's a lot of potential here and we can tell that story through our Christian school because um, I think as I look at the outdoors, I do see that creation is groaning. Um, we hear it because of the sad stories of, like for us in Rockford, there is um, tainted water and the children we are teaching they need to become the problem solvers for the future. And we don't know what that looks like. So um, Sobel's quote here, uh, if we want them to flourish and truly be empowered, we have to ask them to, to love it first before they even know that they're, they have to be. Um, we need someone to say, how can you take PFAS out of water so that it can become good again? So maybe one of our students will be equipped to do that. But at this young age, they really shouldn't even hear about how sad some of the things are. So the neat thing is, this book is really great. I brought it along. It's very short, and it really inspires if you do want to start dabbling in outdoor ed, but just how to take on, because I, I don't know if you mentioned the rainforest. In, in the past, I know some grade levels would touch on that biome or ecosystem, um, but connecting more closely to where we are and not thinking of the problems <coughs> on a global sense, but just getting to know our nearby areas. Um, so here's kind of <laughs> So this is kind of the um, these kids have a really good idea and they they came up with it um, that this place could be changed for the better. And so this is kind of the before the change and uh, in the process of us knowing that in, in the back of my mind as the creating outdoor class.
classroom spaces, I really did want our school to have a meadow. I just, I knew we needed more diverse plants. I knew that that would be a very good, powerful tool for learning. Um, I've seen some schools where they'll say, let's put a rain garden in and I'm gonna bring in people, but we're missing something if the kids didn't come up with that idea. So for you guys, it could be, you have this idea, but we're hoping to show you how um, your students really can come up with it on their own. And this is our elementary, like the, these are third graders and like my classroom windows are right here. Yeah. So this is like looking right out of the third grade. And at this time, there used to be some huge cottonwoods. We lost that because they had to be chopped down. So it was just a barren area. They added a drainage tile, which this used to be called Lake West Side because it would drain. So it was just kind of a green space, but um, here now you can see the after for the next page. Yeah. Uh, so this was their idea. And now we have a mini meadow of Monarch Way Station. Our kindergartners last year came up with the idea of what this design for their classroom should look like. Um, and it's neat because it really did start with just a small act of planting native plants. Um, so moving forward to... So oh, this, this yes. is an outdoor playscape yes. for our forest kindergarten program. Yeah, and then the kids actually in kindergarten, when we came out to this barren area, it was a hot day. They, they were supposed to just draw a bird's eye view of what they think this space, if it was an outdoor classroom, should look like. So they drew trees, and one boy drew shapes, and those are down here on the ground. I still have the paper where his bird's eye view thought, we're learning shapes, but we should have some in the ground. So it was neat that sometimes we as adults have these ideas, but um, with PBL, it can be a, a tool that your students can have it, even though you know that this is kind of the end goal, we want to do something. But it's fun to show, like, the, we'll show you the timeline of how our kids came up with it. So here's our quick plan in the next few minutes. Um, the PBL model, I want to show you through the power of online. There is a whole, literally, step-by-step -step PBL of the school year habitat. If you wanted to start from beginning to end, I'll put the link on your paper. Um, but basically, every common core, NGSS, it's written for three through fifth, third through fifth grade. Um, so this is like your booklet, and you could totally just follow this step by step, but we'll also give you some other tools. So I'm not gonna tell you like all the common core, all that stuff, but it's, it's online. So that link is there. And then we're gonna show you really quickly some big ideas in science that by just by adding this space, you will touch on so many things. And because it's real, um, all of these big ideas in the NGSS content they are embedded into your students because of what they're observing. And then we're gonna quickly show you how you can actually just take an assessment of your nearby areas. We use Blanford Nature Center, so our third grade kind of does a bio blitz. Um, and I'll explain what that is. And then also to compare and contrast your schoolyard because this is kind of our explore component. And because the kids had these two diverse, <coughs> you were in a meadow and you were in your schoolyard. And which one do you think was more exciting for the kids? I mean, the grasshoppers that day were pretty mm -hmm. exciting, but they didn't get to see all the variety of birds, the crayfish castles, the variety of flowers. They just, it was such a big contrast, and really naturally it happened. Um, we'll show you the nonfiction reading strategies and then how you two can create that aha moment. And then when you leave, really quick if you want, I can quick show you some fun ways that you could already start um, harvesting native seeds right now, and even just start by you saw in the beginning, we just had a cleared area. These seeds are awesome that God designed them to disperse, and you can help by just taking native seeds and putting them in open ground. And next spring, you could already have more biodiversity. So we'll end with that. 
Um, so Rebecca, and I'm going to say her last name really fast because I can't pronounce it. Marquette? She has how to say it. Yes. And I said, just say it really fast. Yes. So she goes, when we were doing this, because I was like, I at Brantford, I love that meadow. It is just such a beautiful place. It's like a one. This was the quote this year when we went to fourth grade. They go, it is like being in a painting. Like, you're just in this beautiful setting that God just spoke and he created. Um, but for me, I was like, oh, I want this. I want that feeling to be a meadow. And it was awesome because she kind of said, well, here, what's your goal? Um, and it really was. We wanted to create a habitat. We want to use it as an instructional, educational tool. We wanted to demonstrate to everybody who walks by that this is a Monarch Wave Station, um, and it's serving an important tool. We want to beautify and reconcile for the habitat that we took away, which I love is part of our restoration, um, that took us to build the school and also the parking lot. And the neat thing with third grade is there's a lot of Michigan history, so the landscape now is a part of history versus just the people. Like the, the landscape is a character in our history. So moving forward, <laughs> um, this guy, he's awesome. And I think what I'm going to do, um, I was going to play his video. Um, Skip it. Yeah. Okay. I he I read this book before becoming a master naturalist when I was at um, Blanford and. Ultimately, what he's telling us is we've created islands for wildlife when they really need corridors and continuous land. It never was designed to be in pockets or islands. So he's, he gives you the biology and the science behind, and I think as us as educators, this is what NGSS is trying to get to us. So I'll quickly, we'll just play a few minutes and then um, move forward. But. Absolutely every animal on this planet gets its food directly from plants. Gets its food either by eating a plant or by eating something else that ate the plant. And that's because plants are the only organisms that can capture the sun's energy and turn it into food. The most important group of animals that take energy from plants and pass it to other animals are the insects that eat plants. We'll call them insect herbivores. And most insect herbivores are only able to eat a particular group of plants. We call that specialization. They can only eat the plants that they have co-evolved with because plants defend themselves with nasty chemicals and it takes long periods of time for insects to develop the physiological ability to digest those chemicals. When we create a meadow, we are in effect restoring an ancient food web. This works best if we use the native plants that were originally part of that food web. We'd like to favor native plants because the insect herbivores that evolved where you want to put your meadow evolved in concert with those native plants. <coughs> they have specialized on those native plants over many, many thousands of years, which have enabled those insects to eat them. Those same insects have no evolutionary exposure to plants that evolved in China or Europe. They won't be able to eat these plants. They won't be able to digest them. They won't even recognize them as food plants. So if you're creating a meadow, choose plants that are native to your area in the country. A good example of an insect that specializes on one group of plants because of that plant's chemistry is our friend the monarch butterfly. It eats milkweeds and nothing else because it's able to break down the nasty chemicals that are in milkweeds. But it's unable to digest any other type of plant. If we cut milkweeds down then, Monarch larvae cannot crawl off and eat some other type of plant. 
So if we destroy the plants that these insect herbivores have specialized on, they will have nothing to eat and will be doomed to extinction. So stop and think about it. So many animals depend on insects for their food. All amphibians, for example, eat insects. So do many reptiles and rodents. And 96% of our terrestrial birds rear their young on insects. If we replace our native plants with non-native plants, then all of those animals won't have enough to eat. And that'll hit biodiversity very hard. And of course, that's exactly what we've done by creating lawns and landscaping with non-native plants that evolve outside of our local ecosystems. So remember what a meadow is all about. It's not just a beautiful place, but it's a place where things can live. Living things have two requirements. They need food and they need a place to live. Your meadow provides both. It provides food because of the plants that you put in your meadow. And if you put many different types of plants in your meadow, you'll have a diversity of food for a diversity of insects, and you'll have a diversity of natural enemies that will eat those insects. And the meadow provides habitat, hiding places, those little niches where the birds and the other meadow creatures can nest and rear their young. Planting a native wildflower meadow is so much more beautiful and dynamic, both structurally and in terms of species, than planting a monoculture such as a lawn. Somebody once said that gardening is a way of showing that you believe in tomorrow. And I think that's never been more true than today, because the way we garden, the way we create places like meadows, is going to determine what life looks like tomorrow. And I know he mentioned the word evolve, and as a science teacher, um, that can sometimes bring in, like, layers of what are they trying to say. And really it is, adaption is something that God designed um, within. And when he created a plant, he made an insect. To, to go with that plan. And so it it all is really, um, you know, his design, and I think as Christians that we breathe that into our teaching, but change over time is evolution, and we look, things are changing. So, um, but I know he mentioned that in there, and I just want to highlight that, um, the fact that we know who, who originated all things through speaking, and then it's awesome that his design is the way that things can change over time. Um, but also, I also like to say, this. One of the challenges I often have faced with understanding the idea of why is it so important that we do native plants, or why should we care, or why, why can't we just keep our lawns the way they are? But this, because of history, um, you know, the coal miners, they would go down. What did they bring with them? <coughs> you know what coal miners would bring with them? Canaries. And what would happen if the canary wasn't doing very well? Right. So for us, I feel like when we are seeing creatures that are smaller than us, that are starting to have a harder time, um, eventually that's going to lead to some humans too. So again, we're, we know more as adults than our, we want our students to know, but to me that drives me to say it's worth the extra effort to get rid of grass, to do some weeding, to plan a little bit more stewardship activities around the landscape because he's empowered us through the learning we know more now than we did science-wise. So, and for our kids, they're going to love it, and then they're going to find a way to change to, for the better. So the driving question here is, how can we use our science knowledge, or any education, to make the world better? But for third grade, to steward over the land God has given us at Westside Christian School. And this is right from the beginning, that we're called to be stewards of what he gave us. Um, so I think you can keep going. <laughs> 
So as I mentioned in the, here's what the plan is. We do kind of a bio blitz where, um, and I love this picture, it comes from National Geographic, but it defines the word biodiversity, which actually is a word that I love. I know Ellen introduces and Lori introduces that in second grade, or it has been there. Um, just the variety of life on Earth. And when, when kids get excited about creatures, it's because they're excited about biodiversity. They're not excited about, you know, grass, but they're excited about the variety of creatures. And then a bioblitz, which is really fun, is this is something that scientists are currently doing. I went on a hike with a mammologist. He's a specialist science in mammals. And when we were at Blanford, he, he tracked the mammals. We were counting species. I got to see a possum that had the young in her um, um, marsupial sack. And it was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, so we can recreate that moment. Um, you don't have to have scientists. You can just take their learning tallies. So we can do that as well in our nearby areas. So. And so while we're doing this, going to do a, we do a bio blitz at in our schoolyard, and we took them to like a very non-diverse part of our schoolyard on purpose. We went to like the most boring grass, and then we took them and we did a um, bio blitz at Blanford Nature Center in the meadow, and then compared like what did you notice about the differences? Meanwhile, I'm also day to day in science teaching our FOSS curriculum. And we're talking about seed dispersal, and then we're talking about food chains, and then we're talking about, so we're kind of feeding um, that information in, and then really anchoring what they're learning from our FOSS curriculum in our place. And that's a really important part of it. Nice. So here's the tally sheet that I mentioned. So we'll pass that in your email. And it actually came, I kind of adapted it because we are using FOSS, so we want it to slide right into their journals. So if you can kind of cut it in half so it'll fit in their FOSS journals. Um, but it also comes from that PBL packet that I gave you. Um, but we like, it doesn't recommend the way we utilize it. And so I like the fact that we're comparing and contrasting the two biodiverse areas. So there you see they're literally going to do what the scientists do when they call these bioblitz. So, um, but that's, we'll email that to you. And then, so fun to... Um, <laughs> see them in the moment, and it is really exciting, especially in Blanford's Meadow, because the praying mantises are insane at this time of the year. It is so exciting, so we don't see as frequent of praying mantises. We, we've had a few, but when you're on that hike, you see a ton. And when we're outside, I mean, we're doing the bio blitz, we have our clipboards, we're being scientists, but we're also getting all the benefits of being outdoors, right, for our kiddos who need that time out of their seat or out of the classroom, and you know all of those benefits of outdoor ed, too. And then more, um, more ways that FOSS ties into this. So um, what's really cool at the end, before you leave, um, come and touch some of these native seeds. And if you want to take a little packet home, I can show you how to do that too. Um, but this is part of FOSS and how they're looking at the properties of seeds. Um, I know in second grade, our students study seeds and plants, and then they're introduced to dispersal. But then we're scaffolding more. So at the very end, what's your guess or hypothesis? How did this offspring, which is their word they're using in third grade, um, plant move away from its parent plant? So as they're looking at it, they're connecting that too. And this meadow is just a growing place for you to have access to the diversity and those really amazing seeds. They're, I had so much fun. That's one of those things with magnifying lenses. When do you utilize those outdoors? But when you pull those seeds and look at it through a magnifying glass, it's just amazing to see its structures, which is a vocab from the boss. And straight up from a like sort of a management standpoint, it's really interesting because we've been doing the science journaling now for three years, right? 
and those first years were outside and it's like don't forget to take your notes don't forget and it's become a lot more natural for the kids to realize that when they're outside and they have their journal they're supposed to be you know either collecting data or drawing diagrams I've really seen a change over the last three years and it's because they're starting now in kindergarten and even preschool doing some of that journaling so that's been a really fun thing it's it it's coming becoming more natural just what we do Nice. And this is where it gets fun because you just were immersed in a meadow and now it's like, tell me more. What can we know more about this meadow? Um, and it, so coming from their, their book, here they, they call it the web of life, I think. But I actually would rather call it plant communities because they have the desert, you have all those traditionally what were called biomes are in here. Um, so what's fun now, that, that, not yet, oh. oh, the this one, the colored, the folders. Oh, right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So then, um, but what's fun about it is they don't really specifically have something on meadows, which would have been ideal. So because we collaborate, um, in the link I send you, I'll tell you where I got my source, but I breathed into this really fast and uh, took stuff from online, tried to make it more readable for third grade. So we're going to do a little jigsaw, and i got to match our time. Or we'll just, we'll just yeah, pretend. We'll just talk through it. There you go. Go for it. So we have, we're learning nonfiction text features, right? So we're reading other, we're talking about the purpose of the different features already um, in reading. And then we're getting out these folders that Janet had made for us. And they're color-coded and each one has a different um, concentration. So not all the kids are reading all of this info about Meadows, right? They're each in charge of a chunk. Um, and then they're, is that the next yep. one? Yeah, so then they're an expert in an area, and then they get in a rainbow group, right? So first you're with your blue people, and you're reading the text together, and you're filling out what you're becoming an expert on, and then you get in a rainbow group, so you're with one of each color, and you're the expert, and you're teaching your home group. So this so, would be like in class then. Um, I'll just you right you on your papers could write, are meadow ecosystems important? Why? Um, the red group, you're going to say, how are prairies formed, which strategically red is because fire is involved. So even color coding with that. The yellow group was just why so many names. You hear prairie, you hear meadow, you hear savannah, you hear um, something else. So then they're going to be the experts in the answering that question. And then the blue group is what's so special about the meadow plant structure and function. So there's, um, they're pulling that from the reading. And then each group collectively will be coming up with the main ideas. And then when they get together, then they share out, what did you find out? So all will answer those questions. But it's a neat way to move them around. And their minds are wet. To, when we did this the first time, they were ready to get into the meadow. And, and it's kind of written from the perspective of, I think the intro says something like, you just got off a time travel or a spaceship, and you're entering into this same place hundreds of years ago. The landscape would have looked a lot different. And so that's kind of the intro to that. And one other tool we did, just as they were walking in that day, just to tie in some map strategies that they were introduced in second grade. They get this map here, and there's plant communities of exactly Kent County. And then this is from circa 1800s, so right when people were first steadily. Now we see it today, and just by looking at the contrast, you can see that our kids already are going to say, wow, the landscape looked a lot differently a long time ago, and, and try to find those now. So we haven't told them that we could do something about this yet. All we've done is we've explored, we're tying in science, um, they have this, 
and then together, like, they're becoming an expert in what is a meadow. Um, and then I'm going to go back to that. Yep. Whoops, I'm going the wrong way. Oh. <laughs> Do you need the arrow? Try the I don't know. Yours is like set up backwards for mine. Can you go back? It's going the wrong way. Okay. That? No, I was going to go that one. Oh, yeah. So rooting it in like in my ELA in my classroom, we, um, when we read, most of the time go through these three questions. I notice, I wonder, and this reminds me of, and then use the hand signals of, I have something new to say and I have something to add so that they're listening to what each other is saying. And um, I'm really excited because we just started using Comprehension Toolkit, which is um, all different comprehension strategies because it fits in so well now using these questions, saying let's annotate our nonfiction reading, and then when you go back with your group, can you take a notice, a wonder, and a reminder? Um, and it just really goes seamlessly into ELA, too. Yeah, so we were going to try to do that with you guys, this is such a fast thing. So I will send you, the, they're just Google Docs of written about the meadow. So if you really want to do this, that you could be equipped with the tool. And this is so fun. Okay, go ahead. This is what I was excited to talk yeah. about. So we read, a, the Classroom Book Day is a thing. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's like a hashtag, and people share on Facebook what they're reading. You read a picture book a day. Um, and so, and then you post them. So you have like a visual timeline of what you read. So I do that with my third graders. There's, you can tell there's just all kinds of stuff. But while we're in the middle of this um, PBL, we take out on Metaview Street, which is about a little girl who moves into this neighborhood and it's super like, right, like suburbia, new development. And then she watches a flower and she won't let her dad mow it. And then she, like cordons off an area, right? And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And all the neighbors, then that's their yard. And at first they're mad, but then it depends. Everybody's planting trees. Right? And so I, we're just like, this is just what we do is we get together and read a book in the morning. So I'm just like, oh, today we're, this is the book we're going to read. And by the end, they're all like, oh, that, that's like what we saw. That's what we saw. Oh, that's like, we, you know, we, that's like our Bible books. We notice that, that that's what we could do. So, um, so we missed her. And so, our other third grade teacher caught this moment on video. So.
sharks would not be there. <laughs> but the fact that then this was when we got to the point, okay, if we're going to add a meadow, what what is um, what are native plants? How can we best um, help with that? So we took a field trip to Calvin College, their Plaster Creek stewards, and this was a fun strategy that we learned through Groundswell PD together, actually, where you ask vocabulary questions. So we want to know more about native plants through our field trip. So they came up with some questions if a native plant was speaking what, or could answer your questions. So the kids came up with their questions prior to the field trip, and then they were listening for those as we went. Um, and then on the back there were some other illustrations and um, shared what they learned about native plants in the process. Because um, the neat thing with these meadows is there's so much more than just the beauty that you see above. They also help with water quality, which our students figured out through what Plaster Creek is doing through their work. So um, it was a neat tool for them to just segue more into the understanding of the value of native plants. And uh, it needs to show actually the greenhouse where they yeah. got to see that. Yeah, and it was fun because, um, right, PBL, you find your experts. And so we could say, well, we don't really know, but we know some experts, and we ended up, so we had talked about root structures in class and how native plants have such a more um, developed and widespreading root structure than the grass that we plant in our lawns. And then one of the things we did at Groundswell is we repotted and separated some of the native plants for them. And the kids were like holding them up and all these crazy roots are hanging down. So they actually got to see it. It was a really cool um, part of that experience. And typically they'll go, Plaster Creeks would, would come to places, but we were um, trailblazers and they let us come and I'm sure they would as well. We did have a slight donation we made. It was minimal to what they gave us. But And then here's an illustration afterwards from what the students gained from the experience. And ultimately with these native plants, you'll notice they're showing the root structure, but also they're showing how water is coming into the area, which even in our schoolyard water does come. But after it comes into contact, it leaves cleaner than it did beforehand. Um, and that was part of the aspect of the water that we, we see around us. Um, we need it to survive, but also um, plants do. And then also with what, with Plaster Creeks, they kind of said, well, and you know, when it lands on cement, it's picking up what's on the cement and that's heading into our nearby streams. So by stopping water and native plants and rain gardens are tools for that, um, it helps to make the world better. So here's where um, we're going to get to the point where, you know, the, I'll, we'll email you the, the sheets and such. Um, but what's really neat is, like I said, you could easily just start, like, if this is a, a project that fits with what you're wanting to do, um, evaluate your landscape. And for us, we didn't just, just walk out there and say we're going to put it here. There's a lot of conversations with the grounds management. Uh, personnel, also big picture planning, where are we going? Because I have seen schools that do add native plants to their landscape, come to find out someone called them weeds and mowed them over. So always start at the top um, down and make sure that you have buy-in from all of those stakeholders, which if that, sometimes with timing, that's awesome to get kids involved in that, but I know logistics and life and other events and assemblies and things like that all come in that, that sometimes that piece involving your students wouldn't necessarily be feasible. So you can just be faster by sending a you know whole group email of where could something go. But it could be as easy. I've seen it with Ken O'Shea when I was with Blanford. They want a huge space. Um, I, I've learned as much as I wanted to go big that, that I call it a mini meadow. Um, it's been manageable. It's nice. We get a lot of diversity. 
but we also had an expert that did, we didn't do this on our own. I mean, so with, with ours, it cost 250, which was a grant funded project, and it came with Rebecca who helped us place it, which was awesome. But if I were to start without, and maybe we didn't have that 250, um, what I could show you now is what you could do just with your own rectangle or map out an area, remove the sod, get somebody who's excited about it with you, partner with parents or your kids. They loved, did you see those boys? Like they were, they felt so, and one boy in particular, I remember his parent was like, sometimes in class he could be kind of a, like someone who blurted out frequently, but he took charge and he was highly focused in this project and it was neat to see he had it inside of him, it just didn't always shine. So even just clearing that grass would be a really fun project. But then what's really neat is, this is an expert in harvesting native seeds. I took a, a, <coughs> a training last year where this was newly introduced to me, how you can harvest native seeds. And so just by clearing an area and taking some native seeds, you can actually start to disperse um, these plants. Um, oh, I will send this too. So this is more in depth of how to propagate native seeds, but there's a, this is really well done by Rebecca, who I quoted. So it would give you the tools to know a little bit more. But this video does a really quick job of um, pretending you're in a meadow, which you could do with your students, um, but also double check your site. <laughs> Today's Habitat Tip is going to talk about how you can make sure that you hit one of our hallmarks of what we want in the Habitat Project, and that's lots and lots and lots of diversity like we see in this project here. And the way we're going to do that is by going out and hand harvesting wildflower seeds to include later on in our next habitat upgrade or planting. This eight-year-old CRP field shows the diversity and structure that we consider to be great wildlife habitat. We've got flowers in here of different size, shape, and color. We have a structure that allows bare open areas on the ground for pheasant and quail chicks to feed and move about in areas for ground nesting pollinators. And it looks good. One of the things that's really important if you're hand harvesting seed is to make sure that the seed is ready. You'll get your highest germination that way. And a couple of things are you can look at the plant and see if it's turning brown. Most importantly is the plant dispersing the seed on its own already. Here's some foxglove beardstone, great pollinator plant. No seed is coming out of here yet. And if we open one of these pods and actually investigate a little bit closer, we can see that the seed in the pod is still green and not ready to harvest. So once we find the plant that is dispersing the seed on its own, it will be very easy to come up and harvest, and we have seed with great germination ready to go. Hand-harvested wildflower seeds can be added to your initial habitat project seeding mix, but we can also look for opportunities to add it to existing habitat projects with things like following a prescribed fire, CRP mid-contract management, or interceding it into an existing habitat project. Some of the guidelines and considerations for hand harvesting wildflower seed are collect your seed on private land with permission, 
don't collect more than 40% of the available seed in an area, make sure you collect your seed at the right time of the year to ensure that the seed is ripe and will have the highest germination possible. And when you use the seed, strive to have as much seed to soil contact as possible. And that will give you the best results from your hand harvested wildflower seed. So if you're interested in having your habitat projects contain the kind of diversity, size, structure that we see in this one, think about going out and hand harvesting wildflower seeds to include in your next habitat project. It'll be great for pheasants, quail, native pollinators, honeybees, butterflies, all kinds of wildlife will benefit. Hand harvesting wildflower seeds, putting them into your project, that's great habitat. So the, the neat thing with that too is that, you know, right away the kids want to go to, like, I want a birdhouse or I want animals, I want a turtle, <laughs> but it really, it comes down to, we know it starts with the plants. You're not going to see those animals without that. So I know the PBL packet I share with you has um, the ideas of, like, you could have your kids might come up with, we want a birdhouse or we want a bird feeder, but ultimately, like, the goal I feel like is if you're going to do anything relating to habitat, we have to have native plants because the future of our landscape, I feel like the next designers or landscape architects are gonna be the people who know native plants and how they're tied in. So that future business, like maybe now they're cultivating with plants from China still, but there's gonna be a progression because the more people realize pollinators are having a hard time and butterflies and other things, that it's gonna drive the industry to change too. So we're, we're equipping students with that. So here, here they are, and again, I showed you just tilling the soil here. You didn't even, you don't even have to start with the plantings like we did because we planted in the spring. Um, but ultimately, now that they've been there, this is our third year, and the root structures, I think, the first year were really digging down, and now we're starting to see a lot of <coughs> production of seeds, which um, a student actually was there the day we ordered this, and um, had, she drilled the, the sign for that. So here it is again. But what's neat, these are this is our second playscape. This plant is um, one of the, the swamp milkweed, and it's making its way to other places. Just like I think it was Grayson in the video who said that it's going to spread into the forest in other places. And we're seeing that on our campus. That's been part of some of the third graders in the past have taken some of the seeds and spread them to other areas on our campus. And it's fun to bring some out in the outdoor classroom. And I'm seeing these plants spreading. Um, and here is the preschoolers were thrilled. I didn't discover this, they did. Can you see what's there? So this is in the playscape. And this is fun because this is a form of, um, is it formative or summative? Is that like in the oh, moment? I, I see his wing. I see his wing. I see his wing. Right there, right there. Yeah, she was like, no, monarchs are orange and black. 
But then they thought it was a monarch. And then we kind of described, well, we, we used adjective to describe, well, what's the key characteristic that made us know it was a monarch? So you didn't get that on the video. But it was a new, even the mom came up to me because she saw the video we posted on the story. And she's like, she knows that that's like, you know, so, but it's kind of <laughs> like in the moment, her, you know, right? she didn't say it right. So that was just kind of a neat assessment on, you know, at that kindergarten stage that they have study life cycles, but articulating what that was. So here's where if um, we want to take a few minutes, and I did um, brainstorm how you could do this with your students. You could even take it into your class and engage. But I focused on the milkweed, and I had fun with this because I watched a video because you get the fluff everywhere. So I experimented with that one and came up with, I think it's a, a fun strategy of how we can do that without the fluff. Um, so I have those here, and then I also have some of the black-eyed Susans, and how, like, when he goes out and he hand harvests when they're ripe, you can actually take a bunch into your classroom and set them up on tables, and then in the process, they're looking at seed structure. And um, But then you now have a, a, a supply of native seeds that you could go out and work with. Um, and then I want to give credit to Rebecca before we go, but what I thought is we could just end with this strategy of how you can um, play with these native seeds or learn um, to, <laughs> we're playing as we learn, uh, or learn as you play, um, but with them, and then you can, even this idea of how you can turn them into little envelopes where if kids maybe on your campus right now, you can't disperse them, but they could disperse them in other areas. And there is a movement with seed bombs, too, that you could make those. I have explored that. Do you have, Janet? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, let me show you. So um, Leah Savinley is her name. She works with Forest Hills School, and our school is a groundswell school, so I get to meet other similar people in the field, and she had her students make a piece of paper, and then she labeled that, what those seeds were, and then it really is just folding the seeds into it, and then they pass these out at a public event, and then that's kind of your public venue of yeah. explaining what you're doing. And the, it's like an informative, I'm sure the kids helped write this, because yes. it's informative, you know, these milkweed seeds were collected at Forest Hills Hill School by these kids, so it's like a, yeah, a, an opportunity to get out in the community, like Janet said, and that that public part of PBL, right, that ends. Yes, whether that's your, your garden or um, if it's just teaching others what we found out at some other regard. But again, like, I wouldn't say, you could, you could do this on your own. You could just clear some ground. It is great when you find people who are passionate about this in the community, too. I know I just saw Grand Rapids Christian had the Plaster Creek stewards were out planting green gardens there, too. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of a... But if you did, if you want to get up and take some seeds, then I can show you that. Or if we want to transition, but that's kind of where we left it. Or if you need to look at some materials. Um, but thank you for being here, and hopefully, um, it, you don't feel overwhelmed by this idea. And um, but I know that packet definitely could give you um, literally like everything you would need to do to get started. And again, we'll follow up with the email with, and even the if you want to look at what the prairie meetings were too. But yeah, any questions or Things before we disperse. <laughs> so, uh, so I know, so corny. <laughs> but yeah, anybody um, think they might try something like it? Or okay, good, awesome, good. And if feel free, you can even emailing me if, as you're on the journey for some. You're, if you get to a point where you're stuck, but yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>